Hello and welcome to the podcast for the April issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here, and this month I'm delighted to be joined once again by Audrey Seskia from TLO. Audrey, let's start with a genome-wide association study, and this is specifically to do with the risk of lung cancer for people who have never smoked. And actually, this is quite an important public health issue, isn't it? Yes, it is an important issue. A quarter of lung cancers worldwide occur in people who have never smoked or smoke less than 100 cigarettes in their lifetime. And it becomes more and more recognized that lung cancers is never a smoker are substantially different to those in smokers. But so far, the mechanism that increase the risk of lung cancers remain poorly understood. So, to gain further understanding, Ping Yang and his colleagues have performed a study to identify genes that increase the risk of lung cancer in never smokers. And Audrey, just run through the methodology of this study. A four-stage approach was used, wasn't it? Yes, uh, the researchers began by examining uh, DNA samples from 754 never smokers and analyzed more than uh, 300,000 DNA variants, or SNPs, in 377 mage case control pairs to find the genetic variations most likely to alter the risk of lung cancer in never smokers. They were able to identify two specific genetic variants and then to validate their finding, they took the 44 most frequently occurring genetic alterations and they assessed them in two additional independent groups of never smokers. And two SNPs remained significant in both these replication sets. Then a further replication was also done in an additional study. And finally, a series of statistical analyses and analysis of gene expression levels were done to further clarify the causal relationship between the two validated SNPs and the risk of lung cancer in never smokers. Thanks, Audrey. Gosh, it sounds very comprehensive in terms of the methodology. So what were the main findings? The two SNPs identified were associated with lung cancer risk in never smokers through the regulation of the expression of GPC-5, which is a member of the Glipican family. The GPC-5 expression levels were 50% lower in adenocarcinoma, which is the most uh, common form of lung cancer, than in matched normal lung tissue. And this uh, indicates that reduced GPC-5 expression could be specific for adenocarcinoma in never smokers. So where do we go from here, Audrey, in terms of future research? So now uh, we need to understand how this works. We need to investigate the regulatory effects of these SNPs and the role of GPC-5 in lung carcinogenesis. Next, Audrey, a phase two study from Spain, and this is looking at the treatment of renal cell carcinoma. What are the clinical issues surrounding this type of cancer? Well, uh, renal cell cancer is the most common form of kidney cancer. It causes over 100,000 deaths worldwide each year, but uh, treatment options are quite limited and the survival is poor. Indeed, the responses to chemotherapy, hormonal and biological therapy, and standard treatment with target drugs remain quite modest. So what were the specific aims of this study? Well, it was to assess an original combined treatment, a switch to metronomic therapy, since indeed a combining treatment option has been suggested to potentially improve response to treatment and survival. So in the present study, they combined maximum treated dose chemotherapy to kill all rapidly growing cells, followed by maintenance with a metronomic dose of a second chemotherapeutic drug, giving patients lower dose more frequently, 
plus a targeted drug to increase uh, the anti-tumor activity. Just go on and outline the methods and the combinations used. Uh, so in this study, 40 patients received six cycles of treatment consisting of a uh, maximum tolerated dose of gemstabine on days 1 and 8 with metronomic capacitabine twice a day for 14 days and sorafenib, the VEGFR PDGFR inhibitor, twice a day for 21 days and this was followed by sorafenib alone. And results, so this was a single arm study with progression-free survival as the main outcome, is that right? This is correct, they assessed progression-free survival. And they report a median PFS of 11 months for this patient, along with a partial response in 50% of the patients, which is much better than those previously observed with gemcitabine and gabacitabine or sorafenib monotherapy. However, there were some toxicity concerns, and all patients reported at least one adverse event during the study, and over half reported a grade 3 event. So yes, this study is encouraging, as it's the first clinical confirmation of the chemo-switch approach, but clearly further investigation of this approach are required to clearly define the optimal balance between clinically meaningful efficacy and manageable toxicity. Next, Audrey, a review, and this is looking at the implications of therapy that's targeted at the vascular endothelial growth factor and implications for wound healing. Tell us what the clinical issue or problem is here. Targeted therapy against VEGF alone or in combination with chemotherapy is widely used to treat different types of cancer, such as renal cell carcinoma, as we've just discussed, but also colorectal cancer or breast cancer. Because VEGF is crucial for angiogenesis and wound healing, its inhibition has the potential to affect wound healing in patients undergoing surgery. So it's really important to assess all the available data in each setting to help address this dilemma. So what do the authors conclude, Audrey? It seems that the use of anti-VEGF therapies in the perioperative setting is safe, as long as an appropriate interval of time is allowed between the surgical procedures and the treatments. Here, the authors provide useful recommendations regarding these intervals, but with data predominantly retrospective, the authors also call for prospective evaluation in current and future clinical trials. Thanks, Audrey. And anything else from the issue that you would like to mention? Yes, finally, I would like to draw your attention on an interesting comment written by Jarwaz Andreev. These comments put light on the need to adapt the terminology used to describe radiation-induced toxicity. It proposes a definition for pelvic radiation disease, and doing so is not only an important step to allow real progress in radiotherapy, but it's also essential for patients. Great. Well, many thanks, Audrey. Those are some of the highlights from the April issue of The Lancet Oncology. We'll see you next month.